Hello again, Edwin Crozier here from the Franklin Church of Christ. Got an exciting lesson that you're about to listen to. One of the most important studies in my life has been the study of prayer, and I still have so much more to study and learn about this great privilege that God gives us to be able to speak with Him. One of the Bible characters who has impressed me the most regarding his prayer life, second to only to Jesus, is Moses. I am amazed at the prayers that Moses offered on behalf of the children of Israel, specifically after the Golden Calf Rebellion and after the children of Israel rebelled against God at Kadesh Barnea and would not go into the Promised Land, like he said. Moses' prayers in those two places are amazing. If we want to learn to pray effectively, we need to look at these Bible characters and how they prayed and learn from them. With that in mind, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32 and Numbers 14, and let's learn about Moses' prayers. We as Christians, I think, often struggle with some of the daily disciplines or weekly disciplines or just repeated disciplines that we have to have as Christians. We might struggle with the motivation to be at the assemblies or struggle with the daily discipline of Bible study. I think perhaps, though, one of our greatest struggles is often in the area of prayer. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 taught us to pray without ceasing, and yet we struggle with that. We have lots of questions about prayer. Interestingly, just on the way over here, out of the blue, I don't know if Tessa just remembered what I said at the end of the service this morning, but she asked me on the way over here, she said, Dad, did, does God know what we're going to pray before we pray? And I said, yeah, I think He does. Well, then why should we pray? You know, I mean, what a, what a thought-provoking question. And, of course, I believe that we should pray because prayer and actually verbalizing it, first of all, God has commanded it, but secondly, because the actual verbalizing it to God is more for our benefit than for God's. But we have a lot of struggles with prayer. When we consider prayer, I think we can look to the examples in the Scripture and what we find there about praying and looking at those who have prayed and how they did it and what they did. And one example that impresses me greatly probably second only to Jesus' prayers, are the prayers of Moses that we can read about in Exodus chapter 32 and also in Numbers chapter 14. You remember, of course, that Moses was putting up with these people Israel that were always causing problems, always rebelling against God, and always rebelling against Moses, and yet Moses prayed for them, and he prayed for them repeatedly. And when you look at what he prayed, it was just it's a phenomenal prayer. And in fact... The thing that makes it most impressive is in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 14, so the Lord changed His mind about the harm which He said He would do to His people. Moses' prayers impacted God. We're not going to get into tonight how that worked and what I believe about that, but I just want us to notice the, the prayers of Moses because I believe if we want to have that kind of prayer life, the kind of prayer life that does impact God, the kind of prayer life that's effective and successful, that we can believe is biblical, then we've got to look to ourselves. Because I believe that if we become more like Moses and pray like Moses, then our prayer lives can have the same kind of impact that Moses' prayer life had. And that's what I want us to look at tonight, these prayers in Exodus 32 and Numbers 14. Before we do that, would you bow with me and we'll pray. Glorious God in heaven, we are so thankful that you've given us this opportunity to praise you tonight, to worship and honor and glorify you. We're thankful for the opportunities that we have to gather here as an assembly and honor and praise your name for the opportunities we have as Christians to meet with one another outside of this assembly, to praise your name and 
for the opportunities we have as families and individuals to honor and glorify and worship you. We're thankful for that freedom that we have in this country. And we pray, Father, that those freedoms are ever removed, that we will still have the conviction to worship and honor and glorify you. Father, we pray especially tonight that you'll help our hearts to be open to your word, to understand how we might more honor and glorify you through prayer. We recognize that we often fall short in our prayer lives, and we ask that you would strengthen us and help us to pray as your son did when he was here in this world, to pray as your servant Moses did, that we can learn the lessons from him tonight, that we can mirror his prayer life, that we can honor and glorify and praise your name, accomplishing your will. Father, we thank you and we love you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. As we take a look at how Moses prayed, the very first thing that we learn from Moses is that Moses prayed humbly. Well, remember Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 pointed out that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. I think we see that illustrated no place better than in the prayers that we find in Exodus 32 and in Numbers chapter 14. Before we look at those prayers, though, let's remember exactly what humility is. Look in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, and verse 3 and verse 4, Paul wrote, "...do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Humility means looking out for what others want and for what others need. Not what I want, not what I need. That's humility. Not putting myself forward through selfishness or empty conceit. And this is the tricky part. Recognizing that the others are more important than me. That's the tough part for us, but that is humility. Now, with that in mind, let's take a look at Moses' prayers in Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. We're going to be looking at verse 11. In Exodus chapter 32, beginning at verse 11, Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken. I'll give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever." So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. And then again in Exodus chapter 32, this time beginning in verse 31. In Exodus 32, beginning in verse 31, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they've made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. And if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. And then again in Numbers chapter 14. In Numbers chapter 14, following the rebellion at the entrance to the land of Canaan, in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 13, Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from their midst, and they'll tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, 
Because the Lord could not bring His people into the land which He promised them by oath, therefore He slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Did you see the humility there? Perhaps to recognize that we need to remember what God had just said to Moses. There in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 10, excuse me, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 12, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. We can go back to Exodus chapter 32, this time verse 10. Exodus 32 and verse 10 God said to Moses, Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. What a promise God has just made to Moses. Here's here's Moses' big opportunity. He's the leader of this great people. Now he can be the father of the nation and be up in the position of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he can be the patriarch of the nation of Israel that God is going to cause all these promises to come forth. But God does not, excuse me, Moses does not capitalize on this opportunity. He does not pray to further his agenda. How many of us would have been saying, okay, God, let me get out of the way. Is this far enough? And yet Moses... That wasn't his approach. He didn't further his own agenda. He didn't look to his own good. He looked to the good of others. He viewed others as more important than himself. And he prayed on their behalf. As we consider this humility, it actually leads to the next two points that we need to know. We're we're going to delve into this a little deeper and notice some other aspects of this humility. The first of which is that Moses prayed for others over himself. Instead of praying that God would go ahead and make this great nation out of him, he prayed for this nation as it was. In fact, when we look again in Exodus chapter 32, did you see what he said? In Exodus chapter 32, beginning at verse 30, Moses said to the people, in Exodus 32 and verse 30, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. Here this people had sinned and Moses said, I'm going to go try to intercede for you. I'm going to go talk to God about this and hopefully, hopefully it will atone for your sins. It will cover them and you'll be forgiven. When he went to God and prayed though, what amazes me the most is he didn't just say, God, will you forgive them? Look again at verse 32. But now, if you will forgive their sin and if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. Do you see the extent to which he was praying for them? Consider the sheer magnitude of this statement. What Moses was saying is, here I am, an innocent man. I didn't do this thing, but God, I would much rather you blot me out of your book and lay the sin at my feet instead of blotting this nation out. What a powerful prayer of intercession as Moses viewed those around him as more important than himself. And he looked to what was good for them, and not just what was good for himself. And let's keep in mind who this was. This was a people that had angered Moses. I mean, Moses was mad at the folks. Look back at verse 19 of Exodus 32. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned. And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. 
I mean, this is not just, uh, this is not just, oh, I love these people and I love them so much. He was mad. He was angry at these people. And yet, when it came time to pray, he didn't pray out of his anger that God would destroy them and let him have the nation. He prayed that God would, if he couldn't forgive them, that he would lay the sin at his charge and let him be the sacrifice that would purchase their atonement. What an amazing thing. I think also in Numbers chapter 14, at the prayer of intercession there, just to consider how amazing that prayer is, look at Numbers 14 and verse 10. In Numbers chapter 14 and verse 10, just before Moses prayed for these people, it says that all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They were planning on stoning Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb because they kept trying to push them to go into the land even though they were afraid to. Here was a group of people that stood up and were about to stone Moses, and the only thing that stopped them was the appearance of the glory of the Lord in the tabernacle. But when Moses went to pray, he prayed on their behalf. And that, that's just amazing. I mean, that's phenomenal. Could you imagine if you were up here and preaching some kind of sermon and the congregation didn't like it and started to go outside and pick up those big rocks that are messing up Gary's lawnmower and come in here and getting ready to throw them at you, dropping to your knees and praying on their behalf. And yet that's exactly what Moses did, interceding for those people. He prayed for others above himself. And if we're going to have that kind of prayer life, the kind of prayer life that impacts God like Moses' prayer life did, then we've got to learn to pray for others. Whose agenda is at the head of our prayer list when we're bowing before God? Who do we spend most of our time representing to God? That'll tell a lot about who we think is the most important. But it wasn't just that Moses prayed for others. Moses prayed for God's will and glory above his own. There in Exodus... Well, I'm, I'm here in Numbers. Let's read the Numbers passage first. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 13. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from their midst, and they'll tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which He promised them by oath, therefore He slaughtered them in the wilderness. And if we flip back to Exodus chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32 and verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent He brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Moses certainly put the needs of the nation before himself, but here in these verses, I believe we get to the heart of what was driving Moses. What drove Moses was God's glory and God's will. Remember, God had promised, I'm going to wipe these people out, Moses, and I'm going to lift you up as the patriarch and father of the nation. But Moses, thinking about that, realized that what might glorify and honor him would not glorify and honor God. 
the price for Moses becoming the father of the nation would be that the nations would ridicule Jehovah God. And Moses, despite what was being offered to him, could not stand that. He was more concerned about God's will and God's glory than he was about his own personal agenda and about his own glory. I find it hard to believe that God hadn't already thought of this. I don't think that Moses was telling God something and God just said, Oh, I didn't think of that, Moses. I sure am glad you brought that up. I really think as we read these narratives, we're actually at the heart of what's going on in these prayers. Just like I said earlier, the verbalization of these prayers is not so much for our benefit, for God's benefit as it is for ours. And I think as you get to the heart of these narratives, the whole point is that Moses was being taught something. And his example of seeking God's glory above our own is set for us as he was learning in these lessons what was more important. Not that he be the great leader and have the great reputation and be the father of the nation, but that God be glorified and God be honored. And that's what we've got to learn in our prayer lives. I have to tell you, you want to know the secret? I mentioned this before, but here's the secret. I know the secret to always being told yes to all of your prayers. Pray for God's will and God's glory, and He will always say yes. Always. He always answers yes to those prayers. He answered yes to Moses. And here's the key, the heart of the matter. One of the biggest problems that we have with prayer is that we often view prayer as the means to bend God to our will. Prayer is really the means by which we bend ourselves to God's will. And that's exactly what's happening with Moses here. Moses didn't bend God to his will. Moses was bent to God's will and to God's glory. And because of that, Moses' prayer was effective and God was glorified. And we can learn this great lesson from Moses about prayer. The fourth thing that we learn from Moses' prayers is that we need to pray from a holy life. I recognize that Exodus chapter 32 and verse 32 does not explicitly refer to Moses' holiness. But I think there's something implicit here. Moses says in Exodus 32, but 32, but now if you will, forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. The implicit statement behind that is that Moses recognized that sacrificing him would actually mean something. He was praying this prayer because he was a man of holiness, because he was innocent of this sin. Aaron, do you think Aaron could have prayed this prayer? Blot me out instead of them? Well, of course not, because he had been involved with it with them. But here was Moses, a man of holiness, a man who lived God's will. And his ability to pray this prayer, to offer himself up in the stead of these people, demonstrated the holy life that Moses had lived. And it certainly made an impact on God. And what we learn from this implicit statement is that if we're going to pray to God, we've got to pray from holiness. Moses was not living however he wanted to during the day and then at night saying some good night prayer that God would protect his soul if he died in his sleep. 
He was a man who was living according to God's will. And so he could pray this prayer. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have to lead perfect lives. Confession will always be a part of our prayers. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 and 10. If we say that we have no sin, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Confession is always going to be a part of our lives. But if we are harboring sin in our hearts, if we're trying to hold on to some sin and live in hypocritic rebellion to God, let us not think that we'll be able to pray and that God will accept those prayers. Isaiah chapter 59 describes this. Isaiah chapter 59. It's a rather lengthy reading, and it's very explicit and very vivid. I'm almost, I almost don't want to read it to you because it's so explicit, a lot of us might say, oh, that's not me. But Isaiah is using hyperbole. He's using these great pictures to demonstrate to us exactly how bad our sins are no matter what we've done. But when we're living in sin and rebellion to God, hanging on to some kind of sin, trying to hide it and and keep a part of our sin in our lives, while on the other hand saying we're going to serve God, we find ourselves in this place in Isaiah 59, beginning at verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously, and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgression and denying the Lord, and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the street, and uprightness cannot enter. All of this is about the fact that God was not with His people, because they were hanging on to sin. Not because they had committed some sin and they were turning to God and trying to get forgiveness and He wasn't giving it to them, but because they were trying to hang on to some sin and hide it in their hearts and harbor it there and keep part of their lives and hearts devoted to something that was against God. And when we do that, we can't pray. Our prayers don't get higher than the rafters. And the only one that hears them are the folks that are within listening distance. 
If we want to be able to pray like Moses did, we've got to have the life that backs up those prayers. Granted, Moses was not perfect. He was not the one who could be the sinless sacrifice that Jesus would become. But clearly, he was a servant of God that lived in holiness and righteousness and grew in God's will. And so God listened to him. And if we want to bend the ear of God, we can't just live however we want and expect God to hear us at night. If we won't listen to God's Word, we can't expect Him to listen to ours. If we want to pray like Moses, we've got to pray from a holy life. Further, we've got to pray based on God's Word. When you look there in Exodus chapter 32, in Exodus chapter 32, in verse 13, Moses, as he prayed, said, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken. I'll give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. As Moses went to God and he prayed to them, this wasn't just some whimsical wish. This was something you could pray with faith because he knew God's promises and he knew God's Word. And I believe that when Moses referred to these promises, he, again, like so many quotes of Scripture, he wasn't just referring to these particular lines. He was calling to mind everything that went along with these promises that are found in the Word of God that Moses knew. For instance, the promise that God had made in Genesis chapter 49 through Jacob to the twelve sons of Israel. How could those promises come to pass if God wiped out the nation as it was and made him the father of the nation. After all, God had promised through Jacob to Judah, Judah, your brothers, this is Genesis chapter 49, verse 8, your brothers shall praise you, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. How could that come to pass if the scepter never even came to Judah? You see, Moses recognized the promises of God found in his word. And when he prayed this prayer, he could pray from faith that he was praying for God's will to be done. Because he knew the promises of God, because he was basing it on what God himself had said. Very interestingly, as you look in Numbers chapter 14, in Numbers chapter 14, when Moses prayed there, he actually based his prayer there on the Word of God that came to him after the golden calf incident. In Numbers chapter 14, remember in verse 17, he said, But now pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but He'll by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generations. Moses calls to God's mind, God's own words that we can find in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Just after this whole thing with the golden calf. In Numbers 34, verse 6 and 7, the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet He'll by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, of the children, on the grandchildren, of the third and fourth generations. That sound familiar? That's what Moses was quoting when he was praying to God. 
If we're going to pray like Moses, we need to pray based on God's Word. How much better our prayer lives would be if we would actually go into God's Word and find the promises of God and pray that God would bring those to pass. How many examples of that could we find? How often do we pray that someone will live and not die because they're sick? I'm not saying that we can't pray those prayers. I think we should pray those prayers. That's fine. But wouldn't it be better in those situations if we went into the Bible and and found promises of God and prayed those prayers? Like that the God of peace will be with His child who's going through this difficult time? What about that? We can find that one in the Scripture. how much better our prayer lives would be if when we prayed, we thought first about what God has said in His Word and prayed that in our prayers. And I'll tell you what, when we pray that, some of these other things will fall into place. If what we're praying is God's promises in His Word, then we're certainly praying for God's glory. You see how that ties in with what Moses did to pray for God's glory? He knew what God's promises were. He knew what God had said. He knew what God wanted ultimately. And so he prayed for that because he knew God's Word. And so his prayers were effective. Further, Moses prayed as a priority. This took priority in Moses' life. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 9. In Deuteronomy, Moses is recounting to Israel the law and all that had happened to them since they had left Egypt. And in Deuteronomy chapter 9, he gets to these stories of the golden calf and the rebellion at the edge of the promised land. And he recounts what happened. In Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 17, it says, I took hold of the two tablets and threw them from my hands and smashed them before your eyes. That's, see, we're talking about the same thing we just read in Exodus 32. In verse 18, he says, I fell down before the Lord as at the first forty days and nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And this wasn't some kind of partial fast. This was an absolute, complete fast. Praying was such a priority to Moses that he didn't eat and he didn't drink. Now, I believe that because people don't live for 40 days without any water, that God must have sustained Moses in some way throughout this period. But the point that we see here is that Moses was so intent on praying that what we would consider the absolute most important thing that we have to do every day, he didn't even think about that. Prayer was more important to him than eating. I'm not trying to suggest that every prayer we ever utter has to be accompanied with fasting. But is there anything for which we would pray that is so important to us that we would put it ahead of eating? Is there anything spiritually for us that we would put as such a priority and at the top of our list? Because that's what we see here with Moses. These prayers were so important to him. It was so important to him to intercede for Israel. And he went 40 days without eating and drinking. If we want our prayers to be effective, there going to be a point at which we say things are, this, are just this important. It is this important that I pray for it, that you know what? I can get up 30 minutes early and deny myself some sleep. 
It's this important that, you know what? Instead of going down to the cafeteria, I'll pray during my lunch hour. How often are we telling ourselves, oh, I would pray more, I just don't have the time. Moses took out 40 days. He made the time because it was a priority. And then the second thing we notice from the same verse is that Moses prayed persistently. The verse we just read, after the golden calf, he prayed 40 days, dropped down a few verses. In verse 25, this is about the rebellion as they were at Kadesh Barnea and wouldn't go into the land. In verse 25 of Deuteronomy chapter 9, he says, So I fell down before the Lord the forty days and nights, which I did because the Lord had said He would destroy you. Forty days and nights. Can you imagine that? You know, just reading in Exodus in Numbers chapter 14, did you get forty days of prayer out of those few verses that I read? Yeah, I mean, I know if you read more than two or three verses in a sermon, a lot of folks just drift off because that's just way too long. But it didn't take forty days to read that, did it? You see what was happening in those verses was Moses, as he was writing it down, was summarizing what he prayed for 40 days. Do you realize then that when you look at those summary, you're finding out that everything he said for 40 days could be summed up in those few paragraphs. That means over and over and over and over and over again. He basically said the same thing, praying to God on behalf of these people. Now, I'm sure he worded it in different ways. I'm sure he added argument on top of argument. I'm sure he tried to take different approaches. But basically, for 40 days, Moses said nothing to God but please forgive this obstinate and stubborn people. Now, that is persistent prayer. I wonder what might have happened if he had stopped on day 39. I'm not sure, but he prayed for 40 days and God listened. I'm not trying to suggest that every prayer you all ever utter has to be repeated over and over again for 40 days straight. I'm just pointing out that look at the persistence with which Moses prayed. It was so important that he prayed that these people be forgiven that he did it for 40 solid days. You know, one of the complaints I often hear about church meetings for prayer is, oh, it's just so repetitive. We're always just saying the same thing. You know, that list looks the same way every month. Well, that's because there are just some things that are so important that we're going to pray for them repeatedly. And it obviously doesn't bother God because He sat there and listened to Moses for 40 days saying nothing but, God, please forgive these people. And He did it. Moses prayed persistently. Is there anything so important to you that you would pray it again and again and again and again? If you want to impact God, if you want your prayer life to be as effective as Moses was, we have got to learn to pray persistently. Making it a priority. Basing it on God's Word from a holy life, praying for God's will and glory, praying for others above ourselves, praying humbly. But what a powerful prayer these are. These prayers are from Moses. And I am just not sure that I have ever even once hit that level of prayer. That, I'm just stunned and amazed and in awe at the humility and the submission that Moses gave here. You know, Moses wasn't Superman. Moses messed up just like we did. He, 
He had a life just like we have a life. He has worries and concerns just like we have worries and concerns. He has a family just like we have families. And yet, look at how he prayed. And again, Exodus chapter 32 and verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Whatever we might say about that verse and and what it means and the deep meaning behind it, what was written is that Moses' prayer impacted God. And if we want our prayers to impact God, we need to pray like Moses did. And so the question for us is, how have we been praying? And how are we going to pray from now on? I know it won't be easy. It won't just happen overnight. But we need to work on this. We need to grow. We had a great month of prayer where we studied prayer for a solid month last year. And we were all up on prayer. But you know, it's been seven or eight months since then. And we might have lost sight of some of the things that we learned and some of the goals that we had. We need to remember those lessons. And we need to pray like the folks in the Bible pray. Glorifying God. Putting His will above our own. Are you amazed as I am at the humility with which Moses prayed? I am just in awe of the strength and faith Moses displayed as he prayed to God. Let's remember what we've learned. If we want our prayers to be effective and impact God as Moses' prayers did, then we've got to learn to pray as Moses prayed. We learned that Moses first prayed humbly. Second, he prayed for others more than himself. Third, he prayed for God's will and glory, not his own. Fourth, Moses prayed from a holy life. Fifth, Moses prayed based on God's word. Sixth, Moses prayed as a priority. And seventh, Moses prayed persistently. If we can capture those qualities in our prayer lives, then we will pray effectively, and our prayers will impact God. If you have any questions about prayer, about serving and glorifying God, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone has given or loaned this lesson to you. If that's the case, let me invite you to visit our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. You're free to download as many of the lessons there as you would like. We have them in audio and in outline format. Download those, study them, share them with others in any way that you think will glorify God and draw people closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.